0: Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. From KQED Public Radio, this is Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer.
1: And I'm Marisa Lagos. And we hope wherever you are this Thanksgiving, you're enjoying time with friends and family. Safely, of course. <laughs> Safely.
0: Vaccinated, yes, preferably. And masked, perhaps. But anyway, we're excited to bring you part two of our conversation today with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We interviewed her on stage as part of the KQED Live series last month.
1: In the first part of our conversation, we talked with Pelosi about threats to our democracy and how she she's shepherding the Democrats' agenda through Congress. Make sure you check out that conversation. We will put the link in the
0: podcast show notes. But this week, we bring you the more personal side of our chat. We picked photos that helped tell the story of Pelosi's life from her childhood in a Baltimore political dynasty to her showdowns with former President Donald Trump and asked the speaker to give her reaction.
1: We started with the iconic image from October 2019. The impeachment inquiry was going on, the first one, and we were actually in D.C. Pelosi was in the White House, where a discussion with Trump about the U.S. withdrawal of troops from Syria left the speaker standing up with her finger pointed across the table at the leader of the free world.
0: And uh, you're talking to the President of the United yeah, States, yeah. Uh, standing up, obviously. Uh, tell us what's, what's happening there and what prompted you to get out of your chair?
2: Oh, gosh. <laughs> what I'm saying to him right there is, with you, Mr. President, all roads lead to Putin. That's exactly what I'm saying to him. Because you, 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 would ha- you can't even imagine what he had said before and how he had disparaged uh, some of our military leaders and the rest. I felt sorry for those guys. Look at them. They're all like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> they don't look very happy. Yeah. yeah. But, but, it, but, but what's funny about this picture is you can't even, you can't bring a phone, you can't bring anything into a room with the president. You have to just like a croupier at a casino. You know. So you know what I mean, right? <laughs> So they took this pic. These pictures are taken by the White House. They put this out saying, look at her. And we're like, yes. <laughs> they didn't even have the thought that a woman standing there with all these
0: white, one guys, I one mean, white guys
2: sitting there. And, and so it just became such a big thing. People are constantly sending me these, this picture. I, I, saw, I saw this version, I saw, it's the same picture, but different, I found it here, I found it there, will you sign this, will you sign this, it has, um, I don't know, it's, it struck a chord, especially the fact that it's, you know, all those men.
1: Yeah, What's I mean, funny you, is- yeah, you've been the only woman in the room, I'm assuming, for a long time in a lot of situations, it, it, does that, is that a strength, does it make it harder, like,
2: well, we certainly want more. I'll tell you this story. And this is a complete <laughs> digression. <laughs> when I first became leader, not speaker yet, leader, but I went to my first meeting in the White House. I didn't even care about it because I'd been there as an intelligence person, leader on the Intelligence Committee. I'd been there so many times on appropriations and all the rest. President Bush was president. And it didn't even occur to me to be... Ap- Uh, apprehensive about the meeting. We go into the... Because because I've been there many times. So we go into the meeting, and it's a small setting, and it's the president, the vice president, and then the leaders, Democratic, Republican, House, and Senate. And I realized as soon as the door opened that this was unlike any meeting I had been to before. In fact, it was unlike any meeting any woman had been to before. Cabinet meetings are blessed with diversity but they are shall we say derivative of the one vote that counts in the room this was you're there representing the house of representatives democrats so it isn't about the strength of the president it's about co-equal branch of government and here i am so i go in there and, and i sit down and president bush beautifully gracious man lovely is doing this nice welcome the first time and blah 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 and um while he was talking, when I sat down, I was squeezed into my chair. I was totally squeezed into my chair. And then I realized that sitting there was uh, Susan B. Anthony, Elizabeth Cady Stanton, Lurikusha Mott, Sir Jarrett Truth, Alice Paul. They were all there on the chair, and so many others. And I could hear them say, At last, we have a seat at the table. And then they were gone. And my first thought is, we want more. We want more. We want more. And, that's, and we do have many more women in leadership. But these kinds of meetings are speaker, president, leader, leader, you know, it's, yeah. it's a different. All
1: right, we have another photo to show. This, is, this was another a meme that went viral. <laughs> This is you leaving the White House in 2018 after meeting, it was right after, um, or right before the vote for you to become speaker, yeah. um, and the president tried to undercut you by suggesting you were in a situation where it wasn't easy to talk, and you stood up and gave him what's for, and then the, you came out of the White House... Um, Talk about this. I mean, this coat has actually been reissued by the designer because yeah, it's so popular. And Did I you can never wear it,
2: again, like, <laughs> well, maybe, uh. can wear it again. Well, maybe. You wear to a Giants game. Yeah. You know, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Did you have any coat sense giants. that this photo was even being taken?
2: No, I had no idea. I, um, um, he was trying to say, well, Nancy can't really tell. I said, do not mischaracterize what I have the ability to say in this room. Now, well, well, you just want to have these. I said, I'm surprised you want to have the press in the room when we have this conversation, because repeatedly I'm going to have to correct you for what you are saying because it isn't so. I mean, it was not a pleasant conversation, and that was the press was there. So you know, it wasn't like I'm making. And I said, well, because he was saying, well, I want the public to know. I said, well, they want the public to know, then let's make sure they know what is actually happening. But don't you characterize what I come here to say representing the House Democrat? It was kind of rude. But I, I, I mean, I said a little nicer than... Nah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Did you... Like,
0: you, you but walked can you imagine...
2: It, it would, would he have done that to a guy? Yeah. When Maybe. You who knows? When <laughs> called
0: he you, called you Nancy by your first name, too, which oh, seemed a little disturbing. I don't care about
2: disturbing. that. I don't care. I, I, well, but anyway. that's the... If that's the worst thing he did, that would be a happy day.
0: <laughs> Why, he did seem to, you know, he called you Nervous Nancy when he released that picture thinking yeah, how yeah, smart yeah. he was. But, let,
2: understand this, any time he calls you a name, he's projecting what he is. Crazy this one, nervous this one. He's always projecting about himself. That's who he is.
0: All right, well we have another, another photo and this is uh, another iconic moment. Oh yeah, tearing um, it up.
2: <laughs> The
0: <laughs> the s- state of the state address in uh, 2020, um, and obviously uh, 2021. You yep, we're ripping that up. right. Yeah, so
2: like again, was that
0: spontaneous? You know. like, what was it that? Well, made you... here's
2: what it was. Do you want to know? Okay, so he's making this speech, and. It was full of lies. I mean, so I like on each page, I would just tear it and say, there's a lie on this page. I've got to make sure that we make sure people know that isn't true. Oh, there's a lie on this page. And pretty soon, there was a lie on every page. It was really hard to find something that didn't have a lie on it, except if you want to talk about when he abused the privilege of the House of Representatives by talking Politics, which we don't do. We talk policy. We disagree. But you don't talk about campaigns or anything like that. And then gave the Presidential Medal of Freedom to Rush Limbaugh, a most anti-gay person, right in our house, abusing the hospitality we extended to him. Tear it up. And at my staff, I thought, oh, my God, they're, they're, they're going to be shocked at this. But I, every page was a lie, so I had to tear every page. <laughs> But people like that. Is, is the... oh, it, it, it's so far beyond any sense of decency, any sense of respect for the chamber that you're in or the office that you hold. I have more respect for his office than he had for his office.
0: That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi talking to us on stage at KQED back in October. We're going to take a short break and then bring you some more of our conversation. You're listening to Political Breakdown from KQED Public Radio. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. Welcome back to Political Breakdown. I'm Scott Schaefer here with Marisa Lagos, and we wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving.
1: Today, we're bringing you part two of our conversation with Nancy Pelosi that we taped in front of a live audience at KQED last month. We picked photos from Pelosi's life and got her reaction. Now let's hear a bit about the speaker's family. You yeah. grew up in a very political family. Yes, I did. And as I've read biographies about your life, it has struck me that your mother had as much, yeah. if not more, political yeah. prowess as anybody. Yeah. Um, can right. you talk about what you learned from her? I mean, she was not allowed to sort of follow her personal yeah. dreams and business and, and the like, right. but she was very involved, correct?
2: Right. Well, you have to understand, we were, I was born into a family that was very, very um, devoutly Catholic, Proud of our Italian-American heritage, deeply patriotic, and staunchly democratic—especially the first three. I mean, you have your own choice of the rest—and um, and so Catholicism was very much a part of our connection to the Gospel of Matthew and sense of community and helping other people. We were taught that public service was a noble calling and that we had a responsibility to each other. So, you know, obviously we had a big separation of religion and and politics, but we also had a a value system that made us staunch Democrats. It wasn't in a way of... So we disagreed with the Republicans, but we had respect for each other. You know, I mean... We were friends, really, except that we disagreed on politics. So it wasn't being raised in a way staunchly Democratic but anti-Republican. It was just what we, what we believed. And we believed that working families, this is just what it was right from the very start, it was about America's working families and that whose side are you on? I, I, it's the way it is. I mean, I'd rather not think in terms of whose side are you on. Whose side are you on? And that was how we were how we were raised. It was about helping people achieve their success. And that was a very patriotic thing because the um, middle class is the backbone of America. And, and the, back, the middle class and those who aspire to it are the strength of our country. And I do believe, as we did then, that the middle class had a union label on it. So this was about America's working families.
0: And we should say your father, uh, Thomas, was uh, in Congress uh, when FDR was president and then became mayor of Baltimore for 12 years. And we have another photo of you. And I don't know how, tell us how old you are in this photo. Uh, You're with uh,
2: (laughs) John Kennedy.
0: Uh, Was he president at this point?
2: No, it was, uh, my father was mayor and he came, President, Senator Kennedy, running for president, came to speak to a big uh, United Nations Maryland dinner, honoring them, and I was in Catholic school, and we had the Catholic nuns, a lot of them from Boston, many of them Irish, and they worshipped the Kennedys. I mean, that was just the way it was. So when President Kennedy, well, then soon to be, but when he came, I was like, you know, like a junior, I was probably about 16, in that picture, and... Um, uh, I didn't even know. Somebody told me, oh, I saw your picture in a magazine. And I said, well, I what picture are you talking about? Well, you know, and that's how we found out even about the picture. I didn't even oh, know. Didn't the even photographer know. didn't show it to us. But it seems to have now gotten a lot of currency. Do you remember what he said to you? Oh, it was a wonderful See, because my mother was first lady and she was supposed to be sitting next to him. So I, I think my mother must have, feigned illness, she said, I'm not feeling so well, maybe you should go with daddy to this dinner. And oh my God, the nuns were out of their minds. (laughs) (laughs) So I go to the dinner and I'm sitting there and he is as gracious and as lovely and tell me about what you like to study, just what somebody might say uh, to a a junior in high school or something. And um, I had in school, we had something called United Nations Youth. So they had these things around the country where you talk Model UN, all that stuff. So they had a table, Model UN, and they came over and they said, we know you're part of Model UN. We want to invite you to sit with us. I want to be respectful of the United Nations. I'm sitting next to John F. Kennedy. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, I would love to do that. But my mother is supposed to be sitting here. I cannot leave this seat empty. <laughs> anyway, that was that night. Ever the diplomat, I see. <laughs> I felt teenager. a little guilty because, uh, well.
1: <laughs> I'm curious, you had uh, a private audience with the Pope last week. Yeah. You talked about how important your Catholic faith is. Mm. Um, Here in San Francisco, the Archbishop has been very conservative, uh, fought gay marriage, um, spoken out against giving communion to folks who support Mm -hmm. reproductive rights. Why do you think San Francisco has such a
2: conservative Archbishop? I haven't the faintest idea. Um, What can you say about him? It's just... Not the way it is. Uh, when I was there, the Cardinal Turkson is a person in the Vatican who is in charge of climate. So I really wanted to see him. I mean, eventually I would see the Pope and the Secretary of State and all this stuff. But so I wanted to talk to him. And the day before we got there, he made a statement that the communion should not be withheld from President Biden. That communion is not a weapon it's 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 about who you know. It's about goodness. It's not a weapon. And so I was really thrilled. I wanted to see him about climate, but I was very happy about his statement. Uh, I don't want to make any characterizations about person. I have very strong disagreements on LGBTQ issues, about women's right to choose issues. That's his problem. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. he is asking people to pray for me. So that's okay. You can pray for me. <laughs> I don't know what you're going to pray for, <laughs> according to him, but but an event of Pope was so wonderful. See, because I am pro-choice, they haven't always been that receptive. When I've been there before, it's been no pictures, no uh, of, of previous Pope, but this time they, um, went, they took me in, he took my hands, and that's one of the pictures they put out, and I just. Tears just came. Just tears, tears, tears. And I think it amused him because he saw the reaction that I had to him, and so he was all smiles about the whole thing. <laughs> and it was a, a beautiful thing. We talked largely about climate. He gave me a copy of his encyclical, Laudate Si, which is, praise, si, si is uh, St. Francis of Assisi. We talked a lot about San Francisco being the name sharing the namesake of Pope Francis and that the um, song of St. Francis is the anthem of our city, make us channels of thy peace where there's darkness, may we'll be light, hatred, love, despair, hope, you know. And um, uh, we talked about that. We talked about God's creation, the planet, and what we needed to do to preserve it, and God's creation, the people, and our obligation to them, that every person had a spark of divinity and therefore, we had to respect that and respect it in ourselves and how we treated people. It was a beautiful conversation. I'm just telling you my side of it I'm, I wouldn't be presumptuous of me to say what the His Holiness said, but it was largely hmm. very climate oriented yeah. and god's creation oriented yeah.
0: um w- no we're, we're getting short on time, but we want to uh, we mentioned at the beginning that you first were elected thirty four yeah. years ago. And we have a photo from back then um, yeah. there and, we are. <laughs> Your first campaign, um, I remember it. I remember it so well. You uh, there do. were fourteen. 14- were you oh.
2: born then? <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was actually working with Art Agnos, uh, oh. who endorsed you, and yeah. uh, there were like fourteen people running against you, and yeah. you were the conservative in that race, right? <laughs> you, you were the, the the dilettante and the party girl and oh, blah yeah, blah all blah. Oh, yeah. um, If you could, and we know that you love San Francisco, you know. Yeah. Um, but if if you, as you look at that picture, um, you know, what would you tell that?
2: Yeah, what advice would you give? What
0: would you give your... Like, if you could write a letter to that person now,
2: what would you tell her? Well, I, ne- I had never, ever intended to run for office. It wasn't anything I aspired to. It wasn't anything I wanted to do. I had five children. Four of them were in college. One was in high school, going into senior year in high school. And that was nothing compared to that. I mean, that's the, the joy of life. So when I was asked to run... I went to my daughter Alexandra, who was the youngest, and she said, "I said, Alexandra, mommy has a chance to run for Congress. I don't know if I'll win, but I've been asked to run for Congress. Now, I um, uh, I I I love my life, and I, I love being here with you. Uh, if it were another year, it would be an easier decision for me because you'd be off in college already." I'd be gone like three nights—Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday—or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's the way they do it. You know, three nights, four days, and then you come home. So any answer is fine. Any answer is fine. I'm happy either way. She says. Now this is 34 years ago. Mother, get mother. So I knew I was in trouble, right? Mother, (laughs) mommy has a chance around mother. Get a life. I had never heard that expression before. That was 35 years ago. Get a life. What teenage girl would not want her mother gone three nights a week? (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I had absolutely, but the person who was in office, Sala Burton, was my dear friend. I loved her so much. And she was the one who said, you have to run. You you work. I was chair of the California Democratic Party. You volunteer all the time to elect people because you care about policy now go do something about policy, and this is where you should be. And so promise me that you will do this, because she was not going to run again. But I thought that meant like next year, the year after, you know, mm-hmm. within the two-year cycle. Um, promise me. And, and, and so I did, that I would run, and I would, if i going to run, I would try to win, right? And it was um, I mean, everybody ran, right? It was like four supervisors. And I had never run for office, so I was like an unknown. That probably was an advantage. But it, it, the, um, anyway, John Burton was my campaign manager. He's in some of those pictures mm-hmm. there that night, John Burton. And, um, and so be ready, ladies. <laughs> but I want to tell you, not to tell her, but to tell you, be ready. You just don't know what opportunities may be there no take inventory of what your strengths are put a gold star you know say oh i'm just a mom that's a big deal whatever it is you as you are uniquely you nobody like you your contribution is individual and i say this to young women and young men or even not young because i was coming from the kitchen to the congress not from college to the congress or or younger and Uh, Just know your power, because the country needs diversity. Not only women, but people of color, young people, the the whole mix of it. But just be ready, and, and know your power, and have the confidence that if people are reaching out to you, uh, there must be a reason. <laughs> and, um, and uh, th- th- of course, it's not for the faint of heart. Then you become the target. See, because in the beginning, nobody's even going to... I said to John, what will happen when they take the first poll? He said, nobody even knows who you are. You'll be an asterisk in the poll. <laughs> so well, we have to work. That's what a campaign is about. So the pa- poll came out, and I was first. So then I became the target by everybody, and they start saying all these things. These are people that I had had in my home that I had helped do events for and all, right, Diane? Diane, keep up. That I had done events for and the rest, and all of a sudden, I was, you know, didn't know anything about anything, right? And um, anyway, so I go to the floor of the house, get sworn in, my father's there because he had been mayor, I mean, he had been congressman, and then you can go to the floor of the house. And, uh, and my colleague said, don't say a word. When they say, do you solemnly swear, you just say, I do, and that's it. Don't say, oh, well, nobody wants to hear from a freshman <laughs> member of Congress. That's a special election, so I'm, I get this special swearing in. So, so when I do, and then the speaker says, does the gentlewoman from California wish to address the House? Well, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys, you know, who had told me, they're like, short, short, be really short. So I go up and I thank my father and mother there and, my con- and I said, I want to thank my constituents. And I told them when I came here, I would tell you that Sala sent me and I've come to fight against HIV and AIDS. Short, was that short? Could that be shorter? <laughs> I look at them thinking, short, sure, right? Oh, oh, oh. So I so said, what's the matter with you? Why did you say you came here to fight against HIV and AIDS? Why would you want people to think that's the first thing they know about you? Why did you say that? I said it because that's why I came here. (laughs) But I really saw what the challenge was. That we had a kind of a, I don't say discrimination, we had some other challenges beyond prevention, research, and, and care. We had to deal with some of the Negative attitudes—they—they they weren't negative, but they thought others might be, and um, and that was really my life's work for a long time in the Congress was uh, HIV and AIDS, and the work that people did on HIV and AIDS paved the way for marriage equality and all these other things. So, um, that—but again, a model for community-based San Francisco community-based care prevention and. Um, research. So we've we've been a real, and although we still don't have a cure, we have quality of life and and the rest that has vastly improved. And it happened because of the love, the respect that people had for each other in community, in our community.
1: All right, we are going to have to leave it there tonight. Oh, I so thought we
2: have a QA from the audience. Oh,
0: well, what have you found? This uh, this might be from your chief of staff or something. What, what have you found as an effective solution in dealing with voters' short-term memory?
2: What? <laughs> Voter short-term memory? What, oh, yeah.
0: what have you uh, found as an effective solution in dealing with voters' short-term memory? In other words, people forget.
2: Yeah, no, they do, actually. Was it Xerxes, one of the... Uh, uh, Persian kings had his um, his slaves—that's what they were—fanning him, and every twenty minutes he would have them say, "Remember the Athenians." He did not want for one moment the the thought to pass. And Abraham Lincoln talked about the harsh artillery of time that makes people forget. So you just have to constantly remind. Reinforce, remind, repetition, 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 and do that. And one of the reasons we saved the Affordable Care Act was to reverse the approach that went before, where they were like, there wasn't, the message wasn't clear, was to have that come back, but not by having us say it, but by having people tell their stories. Their stories had the eloquence. To make the case for affordable care. 10,000 events we had around the country. So 10,000 events.
0: That'll do it for our conversation with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and this week's episode of Political Breakdown.
1: Our engineers are Jim Bennett and Katie McMurrin. Our producer is Guy Marzarati. I'm Marisa Lagos.
0: And I'm Scott Schaefer. Happy Thanksgiving.